Amen. Good morning. So, hey, thank you. Yeah. So good to be here with you guys. I know this is our, well, no, this is not our last Sunday before Christmas. Next, it's Christmas Eve's next week. I don't want to forget about that, but I love Advent time. It's such a pleasure to get into it. And we're, today we're wrapping up our Advent series, which has been called Behold Your King. And this message, as you know, you've kind of heard it already in, in this service already, but it's, it's just about the coming King. It's about the second coming of Jesus, the hope, the Christian hope that we hold on to. So I wanna start by um, reading from 1 Thessalonians. And it'll be on the screen and I'd like you just to re- read along with me. Starting in chapter four, verse 13. <clears throat> it says this. And now, dear brothers, I want you to know what happens to a Christian when he dies so that when it happens, you will not be full of sorrow as those who are who as those, well, I lost my part. As those are who have no hope. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and then came back to life again, we can also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him all the Christians who have died. I can tell you this directly from the Lord, that we who are still living when the Lord returns will not rise to meet him ahead of those who are in their graves. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a mighty shout and with the soul-stirring cry of the archangel, and the great trumpet call of God. And the believers who are dead will will be the first to rise to meet the Lord. Then we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. So comfort each other with this news. When is this all going to happen? I really don't need to say anything about that, dear brothers, for you know perfectly well that no one knows. That day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying all is well, everything is quiet and peaceful, then all of a sudden, disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a woman's birth pains begin when her child is born. And these people will not be able to get away anywhere. There will be no place to hide. But dear brothers, you are not in the dark about these things. And you won't be surprised as by a thief when that day of the Lord comes. For you are all children of the light and of the day and do not belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Watch for his return and stay sober. Night is the time for sleep and the time, for, a time when people get drunk. But let us who live in the light keep sober, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the happy hope of salvation. For God has not chosen to pour out his anger upon us but to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that we can live with him forever, whether we are dead or alive at the time of his return. So encourage each other to build each other up just as you are already doing. Amen. Probably just, one of these days we're just gonna read and not stop and you'll be like, oh, that's it, that's service. This is the word of God, amen. Not today, although I was tempted. But we're, we're gonna talk about biblical hope today. And you know there was a phrase in there that says that we, we're not to be like those who are full of sorrow, those without hope. If you don't have hope, it makes a lot of sense that you might be full of sorrow. But that is not what the Christian life is meant to be. And I know, you know Christmas time can be an, a very interesting time for people because it's meant to be this happy and joyous time. But for some people, it's just a reminder of what's not. It's a reminder of what's lacking and there's a lack of hope. And and that is not what the Christian life is supposed to be. There's a saying, faith, hope, and love remain. And the rarest of these is hope. 
That's not what the Bible says, but that's a phrase. The rarest of these is hope, and I found that to be true in the Christian life. And so when we talk about hope, we're gonna, I'm gonna dive into just defining it a little bit, but it's a very specific hope. It's not just a hope in five years from now that something will be better. It's, it is a, it's one thing. It is the coming of the Lord. That is the biblical definition of hope, that alone. And that is what the Christian is supposed to anchor in, that the coming of the Lord is the hope. And my, my goal for this message today is that the second coming of Jesus wouldn't be some far off thing that, yeah, we're supposed to believe in that and, and it's just not really on our mind, but really that the coming of Jesus would be a prayer in our hearts. That is something we carry around every single day. And that, that it's a thought within us, a prayer that, that burns within us. We want the Lord to come. And knowing that he is coming is something that does give us hope. You know, one of the things about Christmas, I, I think the reason that Christmas, like the lore of Christmas ha- is like this worldwide phenomenon is because it contains this element of hope that, it, that people are without and then all of a sudden Christmas comes and they are with. There's something that's fulfilled in this joyous idea of Christmas. That's why it's such a fun, joyous season. And so I wanna start by defining hope because you know, for me, the understanding between faith and hope was very blurry. To me, it was like, just Christian words. I don't know the difference, faith and hope. But if I could simplify it, faith is referring to the past and, and the present, where hope is referring to the present and the future. In other words, faith is a certainty in what is. Hope is a certainty in what is to come. Both come from the promise of God. God has made a promise. So for example, we have faith in Christ crucified and what has been written about that. That is finished. Therefore, we have hope that we can experience that eternal life. We have faith that in the promises of God written in scripture, therefore we have hope that we get to experience that in our lives. Today, tomorrow, and all the days to come. Faith is a completed promise. Hope is a coming promise. Hopefully that's helpful. Romans eight puts it this way in verse 24. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So hope is this idea that one day, it's the future promise, it is just as certain. And this is where the difference is in the world. When we say hope in, in, the, in this world, we, we mean desire, we want something. But there's not a certainty in it. You know, I really, I hope that the weather's good on Christmas. You have no certainty in that. That's just your desire. But biblically speaking, it is this certainty. I know this is coming. This is a fact. It's just not here yet. It's on its way. It's like the Amazon package. It's like, I know it's coming. I don't have to worry about it. It's on its way. And so I want you to think of a a scenario in which there is no hope. Maybe like, you know, a movie scene you've seen, a a book you've read where there's like some sort of picture where there's no hope. You know, imagine, for example, a, a situation where it's just darkness and there's no light. What would the response of those people be if there's no hope? Well, number one, it'd be panic. There'd be panic would set in. People would freeze. They'd huddle in a corner maybe. There would be an abandoning of morals. When there's no hope, people will abandon their morals. You've seen in the movies. There would be escapism. Ultimately, it could lead to this, this spirit of suicide. I just want out because there's no hope. You know, I grew up, uh, well, there was a movie that I watched growing up. You've probably seen it. It was called Avatar. Do y'all remember this? In 2009, this is, uh, this is a side note. I don't want to spend too much talking about Avatar on this. But 
There, there was this uh, phenomenon, it was like a small one that happened after this movie, because this movie, you know, if you haven't seen it, depicted this fictional world where these green little alien things, and, uh, but it, it, it depicted this beautiful setting where there was a harmony between nature and animals and, and, and the, the people there. And it was just beautiful. But what happened is some people, after having watched that movie, fell into a deep depression. Bizarre. But it was because it portrayed a life that, that tugged on a longing of theirs, but they didn't have a hope for it. And so there was these unbelievers who would watch this film and be like, almost suicidal, because they were like, that is what should be, something like that, but I have no hope for that. And it was this escapism, it was like, man, giving up, what's the point? If, if, if I cannot have that, what's the point? But now I want to contrast that with a scenario where there is hope. What does that look like? A scenario with hope, let's say there's, you're thrown into darkness, but you have hope that there's gonna be light. Well, instead of panicking, you'll have no fear. You'll, you'll stand firm, you will, you will lead others, you will act, you won't wallow, you won't abandon your morals, you'll, you'll lead, you'll endure. And a biblical example of this would be Abraham. You know, I know Abraham was not perfect. He made plenty of mistakes, we all know that. But the Bible records him as having hope and holding on to hope. In Romans 4.18, it says this, in hope against hope, he, that's Abraham, believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which has been spoken. <clears throat> so shall your descendants be. So humanly speaking, the story was God promised him an heir. It promised him uh, um, children that he couldn't number like the stars. And he had a heart, and at first he didn't have a heart, he had a hard time believing that, but he believed, he chose to believe God's word. And so against humanly hope, he had this heavenly hope and he said, I will believe. And God blessed that and gave him offspring. And it became an anchor for him. Hebrews 6 verse 13 describes this in a little more detail. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Remember the certainty of this coming promise. For men swear by no one greater than themselves. Sorry, for men swear by one greater than themselves. And with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable, unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. So God provided Abraham with this promise, this hope, and Abraham had to do something with that. It was really simple. He just had to take hold of it. He had to believe. He had to believe that what God has promised, even though it was not real right now, was going to be real one day. That's what it means to take hold of it. And that is what it means to be anchored. It says the hope is an anchor for the soul. And so what does being anchored look like? If I'm anchored with this hope, what does that look like? Because we can get this wrong idea that means you're like this eternal optimist. It doesn't mean you're just an eternal optimist where everything's fine. When the house was burning down, it, this is fine. You, have y'all seen that meme where it's like, there's fire everywhere, it's like everything's fine. That's not what it means. Because actually Jesus promised in this world, there will be trouble. 
He said every day has enough trouble of its own. Ephesians says the days are evil. So it's not ignoring the realities of today, but it's also not on the other side where you're just a pessimist all the time. Because obviously, if you're, you're, you're steady state is depressed and, and worried and you're just a mess all the time, that's not anchored. So what is it? It, it is, of course, acknowledging the realities, but with a certain knowledge of greater things to come. You acknowledge the realities. There are realities. But you also know that there's a future coming in which there will no, there'll be no more struggle. And we see this in the life of Jesus. He, he gave us a good picture of this in John chapter 11 with Lazarus, right? He knew the future of Lazarus. He said, your brother will rise again, he said to Mary and Martha. But what did he also do? He wept. He felt the emotions of the moment, the realities of the moment, and didn't ignore it and didn't be like, don't worry about it, guys, it's fine. He wept. It was genuine. He felt pain. But he also had hope for the reality of he will rise again. He had both. It's a good picture of what it means to be anchored. And this knowledge of the future reality, and, and I hope to, you know, at the, near the end of this message, I'm gonna really dive into that. But this knowledge of what's to come, what does that do for us right now? And I wanna say, firstly, it anchors us in Jesus. It makes Jesus the center point of our lives because when we think of this great future that is to come and we recognize it's not here, the link, the bridge between that is Jesus Christ coming. It is, it will all be made new when he comes back. And this helps us keep Jesus at the forefront of our minds, at the center. It keeps our first love in the first place. But not only that, it also satisfies our sense of justice. Humans have this strong sense of justice. And when we, have, when we are powerless to do anything about it, man, that can be a problem. But when we know that one day Jesus will come and it's out of our hands, he will make it all right. Vengeance is the Lord's. I don't have to worry about all the injustices in, in that way. I'll do what I can right now, but... I don't have to be this, this hopeless place that people get away with very evil things. No, it's not true. You don't have to worry about that. He'll settle all accounts, every single one of them. But it also causes us to live right today. This knowledge that he's coming and this future great reality will come can cause us to live right right now. From the little to the big, when he says, do not worry, do not fear, do not be anxious, we can be faithful and just trust God. Now, he doesn't say, do not cry. He doesn't say, do not weep, do not mourn. In fact, he says the opposite. He says, mourn with those who mourn. He says, to weep with those who weep. But the way the Bible talks about this is we're supposed to only visit those places, not live there. We, we can visit. We, we need, actually, we need to grow and get better at visiting these places. Jesus did this. He wept. For Lazarus, he, he mourned over thinking of Jerusalem, just a sheep without a shepherd. He, he grieved going to the cross. So he, was, he visited these places, but he lived in the constant joy of the Lord. Hebrews said that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his companions, but he was still familiar with grief and sorrow, like it says in Isaiah. He was able to do both, but he lived in this place called rejoice always, but he still could weep and mourn when it was appropriate. And so... <clears throat> To be anchored, you know, we read it in, in 1 Thessalonians, but it's, I, I wanna sum it up in these two phrases. It, it is not in the dark and not asleep. This is what it means to be anchored. Not in the dark means you're aware. Not asleep means you're alert. Or if I could put it in, in our church language, not in the dark means we're radiant. 
Not asleep means we're ready. Because that's our vision statement. We wanna be a church that's radiant, ready for the return of Jesus. This is the thing we hold before us because it's the thing, it's the one hope we know that it is for certain. And so that is our, <clears throat> that is our vision. And so what is the rock that this anchor is supposed to latch onto? I mentioned it. It's the advent of Jesus, the second coming of Christ. This is the long-term hope. And so I wanna spend a few minutes diving into what this is gonna look like. I want us to use our imagination a little bit this morning as we think about the second coming of Christ. Because when he comes, he changes everything. And we don't, sadly, we don't think about this enough. I love to talk about this. I love thinking about it, but we just don't do it enough. And so we find ourselves sad and depressed when really there's no reason to be because he's promised to make it right. We just need to endure. We just need to hang on. There's this, um, in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis has this character called the White Witch who kind of portrays the devil. But yes, that, that's right. Uh, but the white witch is said to have hold of Narnia and, and it's said that it's always winter, but never Christmas. That's how it's described. It's like, man, always winter, never Christmas. And I think that's a good analogy of, of our world right now because the reality is there are some, I mean, we live in a beautiful world, full of wonder, full of beauty, yet something is wrong and we all know it. Something is fallen and broken. And so we can find ourselves in this world in a state of, always winter, never really Christmas. It's full of wonder yet fallen. It, Romans 8 verse 20 says this. Paul writes, he says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. All creation groans and waits for the redemption of the sons of men. Creation is also longing for the return of Christ. In Revelation 21, five, it says, when he comes, he will make all things new. He'll make all things new. So let's picture that. He makes all things new. He says there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. How many of y'all have ever thought about what that's gonna look like? Not many, right? A few? Let me read in 2 Peter. Well, in 2 Peter, I'm gonna skip a little bit. 2 Peter uh, 3, verse 13. He says, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's a new heaven and a new earth which righteousness dwells. Revelation 22, verse one and two. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And the next verse actually says, there will be no more curse. So the new heaven and new earth with no more curse. Now I want us to imagine this. Can you imagine grass? Some, start with simple things. That's just always green. There's no weeds, no thorns. I don't know if we'll need to mow. I don't know, probably not. Imagine the air, it's just fresh, there's no pollution. Imagine the water and the rivers, it's so pure you can drink of it. Flowers that never fade. I want you to imagine that, I want you to picture these things. But it also says, it says all creation, so this includes the animals, right? The ferocity of the animals will be gone. You'll, take, you'll be taking a stroll down the, the road one day in this new earth, and you'll see a lion sitting down with a lamb in harmony. 
fellowshipping together. If you've ever been afraid to ride a horse because you might, you're afraid to get bucked off, you won't have that fear anymore. There'll be harmony in the animal kingdom. Isaiah 11 talks about this. And it says, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. The leopard and the goats will be at peace. The calves and the fat cattle will be safe among the lions. I mean, God is giving us this language so that we can picture it and long for it. So when we think of the brokenness of this world, we're like, wow, that would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Man. And he mentioned this thing called the New Jerusalem coming out of heaven. This is the metropolis of this new earth. It's a city called the New Jerusalem. And this is what Abraham looked forward to. Hebrews 11, verse 10. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He's building this city right now. He's, he's literally right now working on the city. And one day he's gonna bring it down to this earth and establish it here. Any architects in the room? Are you, are you fascinated to see what the architecture is in this new city? Because Revelation says it's gonna be built with these 12 precious stones. There'll be a river running through the middle of it with the tree of life on both sides. It's gonna be fascinating. <laughs> but everyone knows what a city is like, right? It, it, it's a place with buildings. It has streets. It has residences that are filled with people. There's a common government that everyone's subject to. There's inhabitants, there's visitors, there's bustling activity, there's entertainment, there's art, there's education, there's athletics. This is what a city is, right? And if the capital city of this new earth did not have some of these defining characteristics of a city, it might be a little misleading for the scriptures to continuously call it a city. That's how everyone would have understood the word city. Could have been used any other word. He said, no, it's a city. There's activity, there's life, there's things going on. It's a beautiful place. And all creation groans for this day. There's a song uh, we sing around this time, actually only in this time, Christmas time, Joy to the World. It says, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. I wonder if we could take that literally, that the rocks, the hills, the plains will re rejoice because the curse will be lifted. It says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Wherever the curse has touched this world, our life, it will be gone. And I think it's healthy to think about what does that mean? What does that look like? That all the beauty of this natural world would be made new, it'd be glorified. Can you picture, you know, mo most of us will never visit the Alps or the Amazon rainforest. But in the new world, when he comes again, we can. That sounds exciting. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a new glorified mountain range? If you think the Grand Canyon is breathtaking, if you've been there, can you imagine a new Grand Canyon that is free from the curse? Picture it. If it's breathtaking now, man, what will it be like then? Because I, I, I personally do not think this is too far a stretch of the imagination to think of earth this way. Because he says I'm, he's bringing a new earth, not a new realm or planet or anything like that. He says a new heaven and a new earth where we are standing right now. New earth. So it goes to follow, well, hey, if there's gonna be a new earth, then maybe there's gonna be a new Niagara Falls, a new Serengeti Plains, new Himalayas, new Northern Lights, you fill in the blank but this time with full glory, 
man, we'll get our chance to visit. If you don't have the, if, you, if you're saving up for a long trip, this, don't worry, you'll, you'll get your chance. You'll get your chance. Because this world in, that we live in it, we're living in right now and all of the natural beauty and wonder is just a glimpse and a foretaste of the world that is to come. It is, I mean, we could look at everything in all creation and say, that is prophesying to me of a day in which everything will be made right. All of the people in this life, including ourselves, is a glimpse and a foretaste of what life will be like with people when heaven comes down to earth. This life, this culture, everything is a foretaste of what's to come. And so when I'm eating with people here, enjoying food and fellowship, it's a bridge to understanding what life will be like there when I'm enjoying food and fellowship with my friends in heaven on earth. This past week, we had a staff Christmas party and it was like a, it was somewhat of a feast and we had just a great time. But there we read a Christmas liturgy and there was a phrase in there I wanna read to you. It says this, speaking of this feast, he said, may this time we've shared be an echo of that great supper of the lamb, a foreshadowing of the great celebration that awaits the children of God that a feast could be a foreshadowing. So every, I mean, this is changing my understanding of every time I have a small meal. Yeah. When I sit down and eat a taco, I'm like, you know what? This is a foretaste of the tacos to come, of what God has to come. <laughs> Everything prophesies of this day, that every true joy on this earth is a drop. Yes. It is a whisper of the true joy that is to come. Right now, it's a drop. Then it will be an ocean. It's a whisper now, then it will be a shout. This is amazing to think about. This is incredible. It's a foretaste. This is, you know, the best part of what I, I, the, this current world is that it is a, a rough sketch of the world to come. The most beautiful thing we can think of and imagine, we can say that's just a rough sketch of what God has prepared for us. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Wait, can, wait till you see it. It's gonna be incredible. And so all our lives, we have been dreaming of, of this, of something like this. And wherever we see beauty, whether it is in water or in a sunset or the clouds or a flower or a deer, man and woman, whatever, wherever we see beauty, we know we're just catching a glimpse of heaven on earth. It's a glimpse. All the joy we have ever experienced in this life, true joy from God is, is you know, just licking the spoon. If you're, if you're making Christmas cookies this week, think about that. Let that prophesy to you. You're, you're, you. You can lick the spoon and be like, that was good, but wait till grandma's cookies come out of the oven. Like, man, you have no idea. Everything we've enjoyed, the max joy we've ever experienced is just licking the spoon. That's all it is. It's just a tiny picture as well. And I'm just talking about the environment. Because there's more to it than the environment. There's activity in heaven on earth. There's gonna be a lot to do. We will eat, first of all. We all know that there's this thing called the, the, the marriage uh, supper of the lamb. Where we'll eat. And Jesus will finally break his wine fast. It says in Luke 20, 22. He said, I'm not gonna drink through the vine until the coming of the kingdom. There'll be a big celebration at hand. Picture it. All the saints with Jesus Christ at the head of the table feasting, enjoying food. And listen, it, it, I think it is fair to think that if there's gonna be new wine in heaven, what, there, there's some logic to say there's gonna be new coffee in heaven. <laughs> Seriously. 
It may, may redefine your time with Jesus. You're like, wow, I'm actually sitting and having a cup of coffee with Jesus. This is legit. This is amazing. But there will be beautiful fruit that we can eat of. I mean, there's gonna be so much to enjoy. We'll travel around, whether that'll be a, a leisurely walk or traveling at the speed of thought, I don't know. But I know we will move around. There will be art and culture and progress and achievement in this new heaven on earth. We will engage our minds like we've never done before. We'll be able to read and learn. I mean, you can finally learn everything you've ever wanted to know in the new heaven. You can, you can settle the debate you've had. Maybe you've had a theological debate about predestination or free will. You can settle it there. In fact, you can just go over to Paul's door, knock on it and say, hey, what, in Ephesians, can, what is that? Can you explain that? You can just chat with him for a while because you can learn finally. You, you, and I'm not saying, I don't believe we'll be omniscient when heaven comes down. That's God. But I'm saying I think we'll be able to have the capacity to learn infinitely. We can learn. If you ever wanted to learn how a star burns, you can learn that or play the cello, or learn all of world history. That's interesting to me. Clear up some conspiracy theories that some of y'all have. You know, like, oh, we, we did land on the moon. Okay, never mind. Sorry about that. Whatever it is, clear it up. You can learn someone's life story that's from the Bible, your favorite Bible character, Zachariah or whoever. Learn the nature of a crocodile. I mean, this is real stuff. I know this sounds like fantasy, but it's not. Where did all the fantasy and sci-fi things get this idea from? It comes from a little bit of reality. It's a glimpse. It's a foretaste of what is actually coming. There'll be plenty of time to pick the brains of your favorite Bible characters. And there will be exploration. I think we'll explore this earth and not just this earth. I think we'll explore, I mean, it does say a new heaven and a new earth, right? He created the planets, the galaxies, the stars, everything in the first creation. He said it was good. So for me, that follows, hey, it's gonna be made new. We'll be able to explore the galaxies, I think. I don't think it's too far a stretch of imagination. If you wanna see a sunset or a sunrise on a different planet in a different galaxy, who knows? Who knows? I don't wanna scratch that off as impossible. We will be at rest, constantly at rest. We'll constantly be at rest, not meaning we're sitting down and avoiding work, but we'll be doing things that are stimulating, things that be, are restful. Because that is, you know, just jump right into the next one. We'll be working there. There will be responsibilities. We'll play a role in the, new, in the kingdom of heaven on earth. We will have a role. Because work was never part of the curse. Remember that. It was not part of the curse. The sweat and toil from work was. And that will be removed. And so work will become rest. It'll be the same thing. We'll be in this constant state of rest as we execute our responsibilities in this new kingdom. Because God will need people to look after his universe. Just like, I mean, think of the Garden of Eden. He created this place, but he gave Adam a job. He was responsible to tend, to expand, to have dominion over the earth. And that dominion will be placed back into our hands one day. Because that's his plan. He has a plan for this new earth. It involves an actual kingdom where his people will actually reign forever with him. And we'll go back to that original plan of, of exercising righteous dominion over the earth. The Bible even teaches that some will be rulers over cities. Does that mean there will be politics? <laughs> Long pause for that one. In a way, yeah, yes, except that the government will be on his shoulders entirely and it will always increase. 
it will be a benevolent dictatorship. In other words, a king in a kingdom. That will be the government. That will be the politics of this new earth. It will be a king. It's the kingdom of heaven on earth. And over and over again, the scriptures make it very clear that the political powers that have been in the hands of fallen men and women that have been so twisted and sin, sinful will be put back in its rightful place in the hands of Jesus Christ. All authority given to him. And then what's he gonna do from there? He's gonna delegate it back out to us, those who have been faithful. And he'll have true leadership roles in this coming kingdom. There will be leadership roles. <clears throat> People will rule over lands or rule over cities, whether it's few or many. Some will rule over nations. And we see it, we kind of see a picture of this in uh, one of the rewards that Jesus often talks about is this idea of a crown. And a crown is a symbol for ruling. So when we see that, we think, He's gonna give us this shared responsibility over his world to help rule and reign with him. And all of us will have some sort of responsibility in which we will serve God. And scripture teaches over and over again that our service to him now, and I'm not talking service like I work for a church, I'm talking service just you being faithful with what God has given you, will be evaluated and he will award you then with what you need to do. It says in Luke 14, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the, the humble servant who's just faithfully serving, doing, maybe it's just washing dishes or whatever it is you're doing, you're doing it faithfully unto the Lord, you will be rewarded for that. You'll be given authority in heaven for that. The one who's lording power and authority over others, that power will be taken away. If you've been faithful with little, you can be faithful with much. Luke 16 says that. There will be plenty to do. There'll be a God to worship and serve. There'll be friends to enjoy and to fellowship with, a universe to rule. There'll be purposeful work. There'll be an eternity of exciting learning and discovery with God, of God and his creation. We'll learn more about God and I don't think we'll ever stop. He's infinite. But not only that, there's gonna be a lot of relationships to enjoy. Relationships will be very strong in the coming kingdom. Now, I don't think there, there won't be any literal uh, marriages or families in that way. The, the purposes for all that have, would have been fulfilled because we'll all belong to a family there. We'll all be children of God. With Jesus as our elder brother, it says. And we'll be able to connect with our Bible heroes, connect with Paul, Peter, James, John, just talk with them. You may think, well, they're popular. <laughs> There's gonna be a long line to like, you know, talk. You might, you have to wait a couple centuries and then you can finally chat. But here's something to think about. They might want to talk to you too. We think, oh my gosh, it's Paul. They, he might say, hey, it's Chris. Hey, it's Mike. I've been wanting to talk to you. And y'all can have true relationships. And when you learn one another and grow together and our bodies will be whole and healthy. Amen, Amen for that one. Let's let, we need that. <laughs> there will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain whatsoever. Amen. I mean, some of y'all this morning woke up with back pain and you're like, oh, this joint pain, this arthritis. Guess what? That's gone. One day it's gone. Completely gone. No more disease. No more sickness. No more flu. No more allergies. I mean, this, I, I want us to just Really imagine this a little bit because there's, there's people in this room right now that I know are struggling with cancer. That's a battle. 
And every day I imagine you wake up, man, one day I wish I didn't have to deal with this. And there's a promise, and this is what gives you hope. There's a promise. He says, I will take away every pain. There will be no more sickness, no more death. It will be gone. That suffering will be gone. No more handicaps. I, I read about this hymnist named Fanny Crosby from the 1800s. She was born blind. And there was a preacher who was trying to empathize with her. Basically saying to her, it's such a shame and a pity that the Lord didn't give you sight when he gave you all these other gifts to write hymns. And she gently rebuked him saying, no, actually, when I get to heaven, the first face that will gladden my sight will be that of my saviors. Don't take that from me. Not many people can say that. There'll be no handicaps. She'll be able to see perfectly. She's the one who wrote Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. There's a foretaste. There'll be no elderly as well. <clears throat> we'll all be young. We'll all, we're, we will all be in our prime. <laughs> Listen, my grandma is 101, okay? And she actually turns 102 in like two months. So she's like right there. Lord willing, we'll get there. But <clears throat> you might mistakenly think that 70 years ago she was in her prime. You would be wrong. She's closer to her prime now than she's ever been. It's true. We'll all be strong. We'll be healthy. We'll be able to run and not grow weary. We'll, we'll not lose our breath walking up the stairs. We'll, not, uh, we'll always be in shape. You'll have a bright and beautiful smile. All of us. Our minds will be renewed. We'll have the capacity to learn and retain knowledge like never before. There'll be no more struggle, no more sickness, no more sin, no more death, no more pride, no more lust, no more anger, no more separation, no more sorrow. There won't even be an opportunity for sadness. You know, there won't even be goodbyes. We won't have to say goodbye ever again. Goodbyes, when we say goodbye, there is an element of separation and sadness because we actually love the people we're saying goodbye to. My youngest daughter, who is two years old, her name's Emery, um, actually, she's not our youngest anymore. We're actually having another baby. So let's throw that out there for those who didn't know. <laughs> uh, so our currently born youngest one, she's two years old. She's a daddy's girl. And anytime I'm leaving her, she will lose it because she feels that pain of separation. And you know, we can understand that. We understand that with, the, with our loved ones. But guess what? That's, that's gone. There will be no more sorrow. He will wipe away every tear. Essentially saying to little Emery, hey, it's okay now. Daddy's here. It's okay. We're together. There will be no separation, no, summer, no sorrow, no temptation even. We'll finally have everything we've ever wanted and nothing that we didn't want. A place where you fit right in with everyone you love, fully loved and accepted yourself. Sounds like a good place. But here's the best part. You know, what makes a house a home? It's not the carpet or the furniture or the paintings on the wall. It's the people that are there. So who's gonna be in this new heaven on earth? Well, one, all the saints throughout history will be there. Every saint that's ever lived. The angels will be there who have faithfully yet secretly served the Lord through serving us without us even knowing it. Hebrews 13 says, you know, you know take care when you, you entertain strangers because you might have entertained an angel without even knowing it. So you might recognize a few of them. You're like, wait, you? I thought you were just the mailman. You know, like, you might recognize a few of them. 
but Jesus Christ will be there ruling on his throne and God the Father will be there. God the Father will finally come down and be with us on earth forever, forever. And Revelation 21.3 will be fulfilled that says, behold, the dwelling place of God is now with men, literally. If we look, we say his son was here, his spirit is here right now. But then at last, God the Father will be here. His dwelling place will be among men. And this is what Advent is about, his coming. This is what Christmas is about, really. We say this name, Emmanuel, God with us. We think of that first Advent, amen. He is with us. Guess what? There's more. That's a foretaste. Even that glorious moment is a foretaste and a glimpse of what is to come when God will establish his kingdom on this earth. And God will be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That's exciting. I'll get the band to come on up. I hope, I hope I've painted a picture. I know I'm just like touching on these random things about the new heaven and the new earth. But it's something that I don't hear a lot talked about, something that we don't talk about enough. And when we're talking about Advent, there is no Advent unless we're in this current place of lack, of struggle, to where we actually long for something to come. And I would argue that many of us have experienced that, and many of us in this room this morning woke up with pain in your heart because there's a lack. Something is broken and something is wrong. And maybe there's no hope for fixing it in the next 10, 20 years. Here's your hope. In the next 1,000 years, it will be made right. Everything will be made right because God will come and be with us. This is my hope, and I want it to be yours. His coming. And we think of Emmanuel. We typically only think about that around Christmas time when someone sings, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But I want us to let that go deeper this morning, that God will be with us, truly, <clears throat> he himself. In Ephesians 1, it says that he will finally bring all things in heaven and earth together in unity under Christ, our head. And we must let the knowledge of what's to come, which is hope, we must let that hope anchor us for today. Because we're going to experience dark days. I don't need to tell you that. You know this. You're going to experience hard times. Jesus even said that in that time, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give light. The stars will fall from the sky. It will be literally dark. But you know, I think about last week, you're here if we had the kids play. Right before the play started, what happened? The lights went dark. Dim the lights. Why? Because the show's about to begin. And when it gets dark, it's like, hey, what does he say? When all these things begin to happen in Matthew 24, what does he say? Straighten up. Lift up your head. Your redemption is drawing near. It's getting bad. It's getting worse. Good. Straighten up. Lift up your head. Our hope is coming. The redemption is drawing near. He's saying to live a life full of hope. I mean, that is what that means. It's be hopeful. Don't worry. He's coming. He's going to make it all right. He'll make everything new. Which means that everything we do today will count for tomorrow. Everything we do for the glory of God, whether it's public or private, will find its place in the eternal kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Let that give you courage. Everything will go through fire. And if it remains, it will find its place in the eternal kingdom of God. Every honest intention, 
every awkward word of trying to witness to somebody, every gesture of care to someone in need, every groan or mumbled prayer, every struggle towards obedience, everything done out of this relationship filled with love, peace and hope and joy and all the fruit of the spirit with our father, everything done from that place will remain. And we'll see it one day and it'll be a joy. The last thing I'll say is that, you know, as we open up presents on Christmas morning, I thought about that as being a sign. Now, I guess I'm thinking about everything being a sign now, having even just prepared this message. But as we open presents on Christmas mornings, what I'm gonna tell my kids is that, hey, this is a sign. This unwrapping, this unveiling of something new is a foretaste and a glimpse of what God will give to us one day. One day he will unwrap and unveil this thing called the new heaven and the new earth. And that which was lacking will be fulfilled. And the kingdom of this world will have finally become the kingdom of our Lord in Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Let that be our hope, church. Let's stand. I wanna end just by offering prayer. And so if you're a life group leader, if you could come to the front and just stand on my left and right right now. But we often end just with this offer. If you need prayer for something, to come up and receive it. Because I know for a fact there are people here. When you even say the word hope, it just hurts. You're like, no, I don't have that. Because life, because of something going on. And if you're lacking hope right now, I would, I would one say maybe it's been misplaced. Maybe you've hoped for a relationship to work out, to get better, and that's, that's short term. Maybe you've hoped for healing and it hasn't come. Maybe you've hoped for a job or maybe, you know, whatever it is. But the biblical hope that we're speaking of, if we're gonna be true to the scriptures, is the hope in the coming of Jesus, where all of that pain and sorrow, God will take care of. And so I'm gonna pray, and, I, and as I pray, you just slip out in the aisle, come up, receive some prayer, or just turn to someone next to you and say, hey, I'm lacking hope. And may the God of hope fill us. I'm gonna pray, Father, we love you. And we do pray that the God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in you, that we might overflow with the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, we love you. We thank you that you've gone before us and to prepare a place for us, Jesus. And as we just wrap up this Advent season, as we get closer to Christmas and the unwrapping of presents and the celebration of that time, I pray that everything we do would remind us and prophesy to us that there's a day coming that Christ will return and make all things new, that he is the coming king. We long for you to come and reign. We pray this prayer, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you want prayer, come on up.